The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Okay, well, good morning, or whenever you're listening to this, good, good whatever that is. I have told you before that I have this reoccurring dream. Uh, I've woken up with this several Sunday mornings, and I preached to a totally empty room, or I got up to preach, and the room was totally empty. Well, my nightmare has finally come true. I'm here. It, if you're listening online and, and not familiar with when this would be, this is March 14th. Uh, we have canceled the service for tomorrow, so I'm recording in an empty auditorium on Saturday morning. I got to tell you, it's going to be just a little bit weird here. Uh, I looked at... Uh, the sermon for this week, and at first I thought, hey, you know, we, we probably ought to address some of the concerns going on. And then I realized I think God already had in mind that this sermon would address. I think, I think we'll see at the end that it, it uh, can be a very timely sermon uh, as we'll apply it. Now, before we get into the message for today, I, I did want to mention two things for the church family that's listening, um, and that is that the restriction that we saw for Michigan was groups of 100 or larger. So we will continue to offer small groups. Actually, with the small groups, they'll decide on their own if they're going to meet this week. This was the last week we were scheduled, and then we were going to take a three-week break anyway for spring break. But uh, they're deciding, so you'll find out from your small group leader if you're meeting. And then the ladies' Bible study will continue. Uh, that definitely fits within the guidelines. And we'll have the building smelling like Lysol on uh, Thursday morning when you come in. So, uh, so anyway, those two things are still on. We will look this day primarily at Acts chapter 4. And if you are sitting somewhere or if you are stationary so that you can look along with me, that would be great because sometimes it should read. Uh, it's hard to follow on the radio. I have, this is probably a pretty good thing because I have my entire life been told that I have a face for radio. So here we are. Uh, we're, we're, ready, we're ready to go. But if you're not, if you're listening uh, and don't have a chance to look at it, uh, that's fine too. I'll do my best just to read it in a way that we could understand it. Uh, we have the last couple of weeks been looking at uh, the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, and then last week, Acts chapter 2, we saw Peter's sermon. Uh, and uh, when after the miracle of Pentecost, he stands up and he preaches this bold, scripture-packed message, and we see the people's different response to it. Chapter 3, if you read through that, is actually very similar. It begins with a miracle. The miracle is one you might have heard of before, uh, the idea of this lame man that is begging, and, and he is told by Peter and John, silver and gold, have I none, but such as I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, and he goes jumping and leaping and praising God. Uh, maybe you remember that little story he used to sing, but that's the story that starts chapter 3. Again, after a miracle, God uses that uh, to get some folks to listen, and Peter is preaching this incredibly bold sermon. It is very similar to the sermon in Acts chapter 2. Uh, once again, he makes the statement that it is you, because of our sinfulness, that killed Jesus. He talks about the fact that he is resurrected. He quotes scripture. It is very similar. So we're going to look at chapter 4 and see just some of the reactions and first of all, we'll see the reaction that people have to the message. So I'm going to read the first four verses to start off with of Acts chapter 4. 
And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Let me stop for just a second here. It's going to tell us in the next verse that the Sadducees were greatly annoyed because Jesus was teaching the resurrection. I'm sorry, they were teaching uh, that Jesus had resurrected. They were teaching the resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees did not believe in that truth at all, and they seemed to hate that truth. We used to always teach the little kids that they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. But after this response, it says, and then they arrested them. So Peter and John are arrested, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So we're going to hold you over for trial there. But many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So you see two very different reactions to this bold sermon that Peter preached in chapter 3. You see some react by, look, look at the end there, 5,000 come to believe. Now, there's 5,000 said uh, they understood that they needed a Savior, and they understood that Jesus was that Savior, and they believed. In fact, as, as you may know, it says 5,000 men which probably means there were more like 10, 15,000 people that believed at this time. You know, we look at Acts chapter 2 and say, hey, 3,000 believed on that day, but the number's even going up here now to 5,000, at least, probably more than that, that are believing. So some are saying, hey, when they hear this message, God's Spirit tells them that they themselves need a Savior. They respond with belief. However, others obviously are getting mad or they are getting offended. Now, at the core of their offense is what I really want to look at. Because sometimes we think, and listen, sometimes Christians can be obnoxious and offensive when they don't have to be. And sometimes people think, well, people are offended by Christianity because their stands for some things as far as right and wrong go. But the core of most of the offense towards Christianity goes to what happened right here. People are offended very simply by Jesus. And let me explain it like this for a second. Here I am looking at the empty auditorium, but I still see you. Because we, as creatures of habit, sit in the same stinking spot all the time. I'm not really preaching against that. Uh, I can look over here. Here's Jim and Jan on my left. And over here, I see the hunters across the aisle. And back here, the Barfields, they haven't even been here all that long, but they have their seats picked out. There's the Brown section, and there's the Anderson section, and there's the Dickey section, and, and the Grams are in the front of that. And there's the Gilberts back there, and the Avens. Hey, how you doing back there? And there's the Kanabis over there. You guys are always in the same spots all the time. You have your seats picked out. Now, let's imagine... That, however, on one day you come in and there is this new couple that has the nerve and the audacity to actually sit in your seat. You, first of all, you just pace around and circle them, hoping like Jericho they'll fall down and get out of your seat. Somehow you think, though, you have to have that seat and eventually walk up to them and you tell them, you are in my seat. I need you to get out. Now, I hope I pray that never happens. I, you know, I dread thinking that we could be that stuck in our ways and that rude to guess that we would ever do something like that. But let's just imagine that happens for a second. Let's imagine that somebody walks up to you and says, you are in my seat. Get out. We don't really like that. But see, that's exactly what the message of Jesus is for people because we want to be on that seat which is the throne that rules our lives. And Jesus says, that's my seat. And for the Sadducees and the religious leaders, having somebody come in and, and to them threaten their power and threaten their control and threaten their prestige that they have all those people, they're not going to tolerate that because Jesus is telling them, hey, wait a minute, you're in my seat. 
And that, and that is going to be cause for the offense. And, and quite frankly, that is often the, the reason why we rebel against Jesus in our lives, too, is because he is Savior. He is also king. And he comes to us and he tells us that seat, that, that throne in your heart belongs to me. Now, I'm going to read at this point, this will be the longest section that I attempt to read today. So try your best to stay with me. I'm going to read from chapter 4. Verses 7 through 19. And, um, you know, we've already looked at two different responses to the message. In here, I want you to see two different possible responses of the messengers. Because now they have been confronted. Now they have been arrested. Um, and uh, let's see what happens here in verse number 7. And when they had sent them, uh, I'm sorry, set them in the midst, they inquired. They asked them this, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. There's that message again. You crucified, he rose from the dead. This Jesus, verse number 11 says, is the stone that was rejected by the builders, which has become the cornerstone. The cornerstone that Jesus is, is that guideline. The corner of the building is laid up first so that it provides the, the line. Then you put the line across between the corners because the corners is your, is your marker there. And Jesus has become that cornerstone. Jesus has become that anchor. Peter very commonly, even in his writings, in his epistles, refers to the church as a building. And in that building, Jesus is the cornerstone. And verse number 12, look at this. And there is salvation. Hold on a second. If you're not listening, listen. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you, we must be saved. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In verse number 13, And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They said, there's something different about these guys. All right, they hung around with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside him, they had nothing to say in opposition. That's pretty awesome. Uh... Yeah, we can't argue with that. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that, I'm sorry, for that a notable sign had been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may, not, it is, that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse number 19, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. If I can paraphrase, I look at the next phrase, by the way. <laughs> we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. If I can paraphrase, they said, uh, we hear you, but we kind of have to listen to God. Um, now, that brings us again to two possible responses because we can make the authority in our lives and begin to listen over and over again uh, to the voice 
of man. Now, let, let me just talk about that for a second here. We're, we're coming to the decision, am I going to l- listen to men or am I going to listen to God? Well, our Sheltie at home, I'm sure most dog owners, though they love their dog, would, would think of their dog as the dumbest thing that exists. Is sometimes, you know, the, you watch your dog do such goofy things. One of the weirdest things about our go- dog is her choice of things to be afraid of. If a school bus comes by the front of the house or a garbage truck, we have to restrain her because if she's out, she will chase after it and try to bite the tires. Okay, we've witnessed this. Uh, she goes after it and tries to bite it. You say she's going to get her head squashed. Yes, she is. Uh, this is not a wise thing to chase after a school bus and try to bite the tires, just in case you were wondering. But if you walk into the house and you're carrying a package that you picked up from the front door, she will run and hide under the bed. That new package coming in the house scares her to death. If you have a balloon in your hand, there's serious trauma. and you, I mean, you really have to kind of calm her down uh, because she gets scared to death of those things. She doesn't have a real good sense of the things she should fear and the things she shouldn't fear. We face the decision, should we fear man or should we fear God? Well, what's the, what's the wise approach? It, and if I can just chat with you for a little bit about, about this, I think it is very important that we remember that man, and listen to the statement and, and think about it, man will never reach the apex of knowledge. He's never going to know everything. Now, now listen, every generation is going to look at the preceding generations and shake their heads and say, oh, my mom, my dad, they just think, I mean, I do that all the time. I'm quoting my mom all the time to my wife with some of the, the things that I think of that she said that were kind of weird and now don't really make sense. Well, my mother used to say, and she just rolls her eyeballs at me, I am sure our kids are doing the exact same things about us. Well, my dad still thinks. Listen, young people, listen, you, listen, Pastor James, and you guys that th- think you got it all now in your generation, your kids are real close to get, saying the exact same thing about you if they're not saying it already. And the future generation, Daniel Brown, the only one in here that I can preach to right now, same thing's going to happen to you someday. Your kid's going to look at you and say, that old kook, he doesn't know what's going on. Because think about it. The things that many of the things, not everything, but many of the things that we believe are absolutely true, Future generations are, discover, are going to discover we were wrong. That has happened over and over and over throughout history. We are not immune from that. We do not know everything. Uh, if you were here today, I was going to start the service with a goofy skit that's online. If you want to look at it, it's on YouTube. You just type in, uh, don't eat those eggs. But it's, it's this time traveler shows up in a 1970s kitchen, and he tells the uh, family, don't eat those eggs. Cholesterol will kill you. And then he disappears again after his message and comes back a second later and he says, oh, wait a minute. Uh, You can eat the eggs, uh, just don't eat the uh, yolks. And then he disappears and he comes back again and he says, oh, uh, never mind. We decided there's good cholesterol and you're okay. Don't worry about the eggs. Ah, but that steak on your plate, don't eat it because red meat will kill you. And anyway, that continues to happen where he keeps coming back with a new message. And surely you have witnessed that. Even in areas like education, I heard recently, I, I forget where this Indiana or Michigan is voting to make everybody learn cursive. Well, it wasn't that long ago we decided nobody needs to learn cursive. But they changed their mind about what you need and what you don't need and what is right. And I, I don't want to in any way act like an authority because I am far from one, and I don't want to question the authorities in any way. But I got to go to this uh, meeting on Thursday. They had some of the health experts, great guys, and I mean that seriously, intelligent guys, uh, and they were talking about the whole coronavirus thing. And 
Bottom line, and this would be their words, they don't know. <laughs> they really don't. They do not know. Is it, is it more contagious? Well, we think it is prob probably, but we don't have all the stats. They've been studying this thing for three months. They do not know. So I am sure we are going to look back at 2020 and say, okay, now that we know, we're going to get uh, you know, more information on that. Now, I'm not criticizing. They're erring on the side of precaution. But what I'm saying is you know, we're going to look back at this situation and say, okay, in hindsight, you know, maybe we could have done this differently. That's and that's going to continue happening in life because man doesn't know everything is what I'm saying, and God does. So who are you going to listen to? And it's very, very simple, I guess, uh, you know, to think about. So, let's, um, so, so we're going to decide if we're going to obey God or if we're going to obey man. We're going to decide if we're going to, therefore, compromise some of our stands uh, to go along with what man wants or, like the disciples, if we are going to boldly stand. In my Bible, I have a little subtitle before verse number 23. It says, The Believers Pray for Boldness. And to highlight that prayer down in verse number 29, uh, they're praying this. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your service, servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. So we can react with compromise or we can react by praying for and receiving and standing in boldness. So the two reactions to the message are basically, I believe, or I'm offended. The two different reactions that the messengers have in here are, I'm going to listen to God or I'm going to listen to man. And lastly, and I think most importantly, let's real quickly uh, look at two actions that the church is called to. I want to read ver uh, verse 32 through the end of the chapter. Now the full number of those who believe were with one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Let me stop right there for a second and say this. I, I can say this with great confidence. In, if you take the entirety of the Bible, the Bible does not teach uh, total like socialism. Uh, if you go over to First Thessalonians, it makes it very clear those who do not work uh, should not eat. This is, this is not promoting a form of government. We'll talk in a minute about what it is promoting. Uh, 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses uh, sold them and brought the proceeds, uh, and they were sold, and they laid this at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each that had a need. And then they, they, it goes on and talks about a guy by the name of Barnabas, actually, is introduced here. He was known as the son of consolation or a great giver. But there are two actions that the, the church responds with that I believe that we are called to. And one of them is just extreme generosity. One of them is to develop the attitude that if I have it and you need it, you're going to get it. Now, um, as you might imagine, if you know me at all, this whole weekend is driving me crazy. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to cancel church. Uh, though I'm actually having a pretty good time. How are you doing, Daniel? 
good. Yeah, we're, we're having a pretty good time here. Uh, but I, I don't, I mean, this goes against my grain. Uh, I'm going to have to find something tomorrow during church time to keep myself busy so that, uh, you know, so I'm not going stir crazy and, and uh, running around and calling everybody and asking them to come. I don't, don't want to do that. I mean, I want to have church, but I thought, you know, this is probably a, a real good timing on this just from the standpoint of, you know, we're talking about the idea that we are not to just come to church. We are to be the church. And maybe this serves as a great reminder that as much as we enjoy gathering together and worshiping the Lord together and looking at His Word and studying it, church has to go beyond that, and we are called to be the church. We will, as a church, corporately try to look for opportunities that we can give folks to serve people uh, you know, over the next few weeks and during this time. But I, I have to tell you, a lot of that, you know, even like the... Uh, feeding people in Edwardsburg. We, we already found out this morning that that is going to be taken care of a lot through the schools and through the government, so I don't know that that'll be a great need, but I really want to challenge us to do something that is more powerful anyway, and that is as individuals say, where has God put me? What does God want me to do? How can I be the church? Who is that person that I know in my neighborhood, maybe it's in my family, maybe it's just an acquaintance, that I need to call and check on and just see how they're doing and make sure they have what they need? You know, where can I look to serve others? Where can I, uh, you know, be the church in other people's lives? So the first mark is this extreme generosity that takes place here in, the, uh, in Acts chapter, at the end of Acts chapter 4, but then also... <laughs> I, I had written on my notes that we are to be generous storytellers, and two different ideas. We are to be generous, and we're also to be storytellers. The word the Scripture uses is that they gave powerful testimony. But basically, that means that God's working in our lives. The story that He is writing in my life is that powerful thing that God wants to use in the life of other people. I, I want you to think with me just for a quick second. Think of somebody who you think loves Jesus. Okay, what? Just think of that person right now. You think, yeah, that person obviously has a love for Jesus. I'm going to guess that you're not seeing somebody who is at church all the time and looks like they need some prune juice. Okay, right? That, that's not that's not what we're that we're thinking now. That's not what the the real church is. But uh, but you're thinking of somebody who is demonstrating the love of God into other people's lives. And may I encourage you, be the church. Um, I'm thinking that's, you know, the, the, one of the greatest things we can take, even from this week off or however long it turns out to be that we, we feel like we have to be off, uh, I mean, know this, I'm, I, I don't like this, and we will push to, hey, or when, not push, but whenever it is appropriate and right and we feel like it is, uh, we'll get back together. But, uh, but <laughs> maybe I need this. Maybe I need to, I shouldn't have said maybe. I need this, and I need to stop and remember that what takes place here is not all the church is. We are to be like this church. It's consuming and filling up more and more of our lives. And we are being the church in everyday life. I'll go ahead and pray, and then let Daniel go watch sports on. Oh no, he can't watch sports on TV. Just kidding. Um, Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for the fact that um, as we approach what's going on in our lives right now, that um, very simply that that we we have you, and that you are large and in charge, and we know that. 
And, uh, and I do pray for each person listening that they'll just ask, God, what, what is it you want to teach me through the events of March 2020? Uh, where do you want to shape me more into your image? And Lord, how do you want to use me to be the church? Where is the place where you want me to show this generosity? Where is the place, Lord, where um, my testimony, my story of how your resurrection and your life in me has changed me, where can that be seen and heard uh, during this time? Lord, make us what you want us to be. I pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.